Hey everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and on this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about railroading versus sandbox games and creative NPCs in your campaign. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over there at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, and thanks for the resubscribe from Indoor Adventurer, one of our great fans that's out there. Oh, thank you, Indoor. Yeah, that's awesome. And, oh yeah, Fiora's here. Welcome, welcome. Uh, yeah, I always love to see people in chat. That's really awesome to see you guys talking and chatting with us. Um, we have, uh, we, gosh, we had a week off. And so I feel like there's so much more to talk about, but then I'm also lost as to what to talk about. <laughs> um, <coughs> and I've got a cough for some reason. So hopefully I'm not getting sick. Uh, hopefully not. Yeah, no, because uh, I'm doing a show right now, and like everyone through the show has been coughing and sneezing, and I'm like, we oh, guys, we can't afford to get sick. Like it's flu season. Like everybody, hand sanitizer, <laughs> come on, all of you. Yeah. So, uh, it's awesome. So, what is happening in the world of Dungeons and Dragons for two weeks? We have not talked about this. Yeah, it seems like it's been a while. So we missed a little bit, and uh, a bunch of things had happened, but not really D and D wise. I think. Um... And I'll have to tell everybody, like, my microphone's going to sound echoey for the last time this week. Next week, we should have it fixed with the new stuff. Yeah, but, so uh, you just need to put some, like, sound dampening stuff in the room because you've got a nice echoey room. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, I see Cyberwolf joined in, too. That's cool. Um, so I think what's been – I saw some tweets from Jeremy, and I've seen some stuff from Mike Merles, and it feels like they're, they've got their head down because they're getting ready for the Dungeon of the Mad Mage and – they're wrapping up the book for Guildmaster's Guide to uh, Ravnica all at the same time, trying to get those wrapped up off to the printers and ready for their big printings and shippings in November, which is coming up. So here we are in October, and it feels like they're just kind of heads down doing that. There's been a few shows here like Lore You Should Know, and, yeah. and uh, Mike Merles does, still does his happy hour, and there's still some streaming games going on at the moment. Um, there's been some live shows here and there. Like I think Critical Role just did a New York live yeah, show. Yeah, they did a New York live show. And I hear it was really cool. They were all dressed up and stuff. So Yeah, yeah, pirate costumes and yeah. cool stuff. I didn't watch the whole thing. I only watched a tiny bit. Um, I'm sure they'll put it up on the YouTubes or, or their channel. And that's been the big thing for them building up to this um, probably month or even just last month was getting their YouTube channel up and off the ground because yeah. they've always been with geek and sundry and they've kind of had their stuff but it feels like they're a real company now they're a real production and they're trying to get their channels and their brand not that they have any trouble getting their brand out no. there but well and that's, that's it's, it's interesting to me because they're they were like with geek and sundry and they were just like another aspect of geek and sundry and now they're pushing into their own thing but they're still i, I and maybe it's just because for like continuity sake they want to keep it on geek and sundry because pushing to a new Twitch channel, pushing to a new YouTube channel might be a little different. So all that same content is still on Geek and Sundry from what I'm understanding. It's just they're doing yeah. extra stuff with their own YouTube channel and their own, and they have their own production studio now from what I understand. So yeah. Ah, cat. Cat, cat alert, cat attack. <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah, they've got like full on studios. And that was, I mean, we've been seeing updates from Matt Colville, his studios up and yeah. running videos lately. Um, we've seen WebDM has been taken off pretty well. So all those really cool places you go for your D&D &D has been super active. And I think October is a big active 
month for everybody because I think creatively when Halloween starts to come around yeah. and people are thinking about stuff they can do or costumes or parties they're going to, that gets their creativeness flowing and that just leads into the community itself. So you'll see more one shots and short campaigns and, and a bunch of YouTubers or streamers getting together to do different fun things around those holidays or building up to that holiday, which I think is really cool. And it's really kind of like that start. Maybe now it's the earliest start of the holiday kind of cheer or holiday season. Cause then we just lead right into November and we build until we get to December. And then finally we're at that new year. So it feels like the end of the year is, has a lot of excitement, a lot of, creativity to it so yeah for sure no and like halloween always seems to be that time of year where you start making themed games like mm -hmm. you're like okay we'll make a halloween game and then because you made a halloween game you're like well we might as well try to make some kind of thanksgiving game mm -hmm. and you know we have thanksgiving off so we should play thanks play a thanksgiving game and then christmas games and things like that and that's i don't know it started with me like i made a fun halloween game way back before i was uh doing youtube and twitch uh, with my players and they fought like the, the great pumpkin. And that was really fun. And then that turned into, um, fighting, uh, the anti Santa Claus who was like taking presents away from children and stuff. And they had to stop that for Christmas. And so, um, always fun. Like just, it's a, yeah, I think you're right. Like people are working on costumes and they're doing like decorating and things like that. And it's just a creative time of year. And so people get really creative with their RPGs as well. Uh, yeah. Myself included, because uh, hopefully in either next week or the week after, I'm going to be recording a Kids on Bike Halloween show. Um, and then I will uh, record that, and then we will put up the audio on my Patreon podcast first. And then a little while later, towards um, Halloween, I'm going to put it up on uh, the Saturday morning D&D show YouTube channel. So it won't have any visuals, but it'll have audio that you guys can listen to and you can listen to our uh, live kids on bikes game. Um, that is my hope. Cross my fingers that I don't have any like audio problems because I've never attempted something like this before. So, yeah. but we've got all the microphones and we've got like the technology. So it should uh, work out and sound pretty decent from, from what my tests have uh, indicated. So that'd be cool. And that's such a good game that it's going to be so fun to see. You got a lot of cool stories you yeah. can tell with that. Yeah, there's not a lot of people doing Kids on Bikes uh, RPG streams yet, mostly because the game was like in, like it came out in book form. And then um, now I think you can finally get the PDF on Drive-Thru RPG uh, for like $10. It's completely reasonable. Um, but it's just a, it's a fun little game of one shots. Like I feel like you could do uh, a longer campaign if you wanted to, but really it's like, it's like we're going to do three max, like three sessions to kind of tell this story. Um, and it's, it's set in the eighties and it's just like really fun. Although there's a couple of modules within the book that I bought because it has a bunch of lists of modules at the end that say, or not modules, but like here are potential storylines that you could do. And one of them was set in the 1930s and one of them was set in the 1950s. So you can kind of adapt it however you want. But the idea is, is that your kid's dealing with supernatural stuff. Um, and so my kids are dealing with supernatural problems on Halloween night and they're going to be dressed up in their Halloween costumes. And so I'm really excited. That'd be fun. And it, it is the one holiday that I feel the most allows me to feel like a kid again for whatever reason like yeah i always thought like thanksgiving was about being around like family quite a bit so those memories are just about big dinners and your aunts and uncles and, and grandpas mm -hmm. and grandmas and all that stuff but it, it's kind of just like a family get together which you may have more than one of those a year and then christmas was always that more intimate and you might get you get presents you know and like my family wasn't 
wealthy or anything. So we got one present every year. So that was super cool. But those memories are still just kind of like with just being with the family. But Halloween was about going with your friends, talking about your costumes, then going out with your friends to do things most of the time without parents anywhere near. Yeah. And we were just out in the, you know, I did it in Phoenix, Arizona. So it was always nice and, and, and cool during the evening. You could wear your costumes and it might even be warm. You never had to worry about rain or snow. Like, you know, up here in the, in the Northeast, these kids go with their big jackets on over their costumes. Yeah. You never know. It might snow on, you know, on Halloween up here, but that's how I grew up was your, awesome. your Halloween costume revolved around snowsuits and stuff because <laughs> yeah. it was just cold and you were in the North yeah. um, or like you'd trick or treat and you'd have to take off your coat so that they could see your costume. And then you put it back on, get your candy and go to the next house. Right. <laughs> so, so my memories were of just, you know, preteens, teenagers, you know, going out in little groups of kids and, and we weren't, we weren't the kind of the, the crazy play tricks or do crazy stuff. We were just all about the cool costumes and getting bags full of candy as much as we could and then get back. And then the other cool thing about Halloween for us was we would typically play Dungeons and Dragons. It was a time where we would play RPGs once all that stuff was done and we had to come back inside. We had this big thing of candy next to us, and we're just rolling dice, and we're playing through our adventures, and and we're getting to pretend just like we got to pretend for our costumes or for that one night. So it always feels like a, a really cool holiday to me as far as being a kid, an 80s kid. It just takes me back to that every time. And when you say, like, kids on bikes, or we Tales from the Loop, we yeah. play these RPG, RPGs that are come out there, like these retro 80s RPGs stranger things and all these all this stuff it just speaks to my inner child and my childhood which was super fun and super cool so hopefully most of you out there are feeling that same kind of thing with yours yeah and if you guys are curious about kids on bikes i found one podcast that did a really good job and they were playing an early build of it so there's some things that have changed in the final version but um they do a really good job of kind of describing the game because i feel like i learn rpgs well by listening to them like because that's kind of how i learned to play dungeons and dragons because i didn't have anybody to teach me so i was listening to a lot of podcasts and watching those live plays but also there is a huge influx of tales from the loop like a lot of streamers are, are playing that right now and so if you're interested in these like fun you know mystical 80s games or sci-fi 80s games then uh definitely check out um streams and stuff that's happening right now and lots of people are doing some really cool stuff so yeah yeah one of our friends of the show pb is doing she's doing an adventure she's writing a game for halloween there's a whole big thing coming up about um a haunted halloween house kind of adventure which sounded super cool mm-hmm. um, i always notice that like right around this time you start to see a lot of adventures up on drive through rpg or DMs Guild that are somehow tied into this trick-or-treating or Halloween theme or, you know, a vampire theme can come in quite a bit, but it, it all ties back into role-playing and Dungeons and & Dragons and stuff. So it's it's super fun. But, yeah. Um, 100%. Oh, man. In October is my birthday is in October, and, like, it's fall, and it's Halloween. It's just, like, the best month. I love this month so much. Yeah. So I was really excited when October hit. So the only other news was, and many of our, I don't know if our audience is into this yet, maybe eventually we'll get some Magic the Gathering audience, but it was yesterday when they launched the Ravnica edition of the Magic cards. So if you're playing Magic the Gathering, their big expansion that's going to be tying into the Dungeons & Dragons brand next month has released. So that's in the game stores now, and you can go and buy those um, guilds of Ravnica. It was October 5th. 
And the book release then for Dungeons and Dragons is going to be November 20th. So I just want to make sure we got that out there because it's one I'm super excited about. And I can't wait to maybe try to run something in it at some point. In fact, in my mega campaign, we just had somebody sign up this week. I gave them a character sheet because we still got people, even though I haven't been able to run games. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, they rolled and I had to put, I was doing the race chart that goes from zero, zero all the way down to a hundred. And you're trying to put all those things in there and you give them good, even odds and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you weight the top part with the main ones, like the human elf, half elf, that stuff. But then the other ones you want to be like, okay, you know, you might have a couple of numbers you could roll to possibly get tiefling or all these. Well, when you Tabaxi do it, or something. Yeah, tab- and you want to get all these, I, I had one spot that I didn't have anything that came from like Volos, um, all the books that have been released. So for just one of the spots, I put Loxodon in uh, that came from the Guilds of Ravnica uh, UA and then will be from the book. And we had a player roll it randomly to make his character just this week. So we're going to have an actual Loxodon in the mega campaign. Which Sweet. Super cool. So I was super happy about that. Um, and then there was a couple of lores you should know that you can watch with uh, Chris Perkins um, and Greg Tito talking about um, a lot of Dungeon of the Mad Mage. So they really dove into um, the Seven Apprentices and the main guy that's down there, uh, the main wizard, uh, Halister, which is the main um, you know mad genius of the dungeon that has kind of done this Dungeon of the Mad Mage. And they're talking things like on level 23, the level 23 part of the dungeon yeah. is this whole thing. And, and level 32, of, you know, it's just like these crazy enough levels. And I heard them talk about that it's a it's not a very wide dungeon, so it's not a very sprawling dungeon, but it's a very deep dungeon. And there's yeah. lots of ways to go down. There's lots of things to hear about the, um, uh, the the lore to it. The Seven Apprentices, which is a really cool thing, we talked about when Halastar went down and kind of was going down to tame this undermountain area under Waterdeep, took the, the apprentices with them. And all these pr- apprentices seem to be really kind of cool wizards on their own yeah um, even though they call them a princess they're powerful wizards and monsters yeah. more powerful um and there's a lot of story to find out they fleshed out most of those now um, some are dead some are lost some you come across informations you know there's all kinds of stuff down there and they left some stuff open for gms to to fill in on their own i can't wait to see this book because we haven't seen i don't think a mega dungeon book from them i mean they've probably done one in somewhere in fourth edition, there must have been a mega dungeon book. The closest thing I can think of, well, they've done uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage in third edition, and I think they did it in fourth edition. But the closest for fifth edition would probably be Dead and Thay, which was oh, okay. like uh, in Tales of the Awning Portal. And that was during the uh, D&D Next playtest as well. But like that's a pretty large mega dungeon with all these different avenues and paths you can go. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where I was confused reading it, and I kind of just was like, I don't think I'm going to steal as much stuff from this as, as I want to because I just got lost. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, definitely the lore part I'm really excited for because is um, an interesting character. Like you said, he's got these seven wizard apprentices that are like also super powerful. And I think when Halaster went down into his dungeon, some of them just made towers like around the dungeon. And so there are these wizard towers that they're just kind of like, yeah, well, he went and did his own thing, but we're just hanging out over here um, mm-hmm. way back in the lore. And then eventually they went looking for him and went searching around in, in uh, Undermountain. But yeah. it's going to be, I don't know, it's, it's, it's going to be fun because uh, 
like we've we've seen dungeons like tomb of annihilation has a really good dungeon at the end of it and like there's things like that but this is just this this crawl of like like let's go deeper and deeper and deeper and what's behind this door it's it's gonna be fun yeah i'm interested to see the modern version of the mega dungeon adventure with the way they've really refined their adventures because even in even the first few adventures we've seen a very big difference to the adventures they release now with starting with really i think of uh strong king's thunder as the last of the old style and starting into the new tight concise style that they have now and then from then on the books have just been amazingly well edited and done to be able to be something you can run and everybody's you know has said Dragon Heist is a really good book to run. They've been talking about if you're a brand new GM, it's a good place to start. If you've always been wondering, where could I start? I just bought the books. I'm a brand new mm-hmm. GM. I want to run it for my players. They're saying Dragon Heist is good, <laughs> um, you know, just like the Minds of Fandelver. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that is. And the one that always is still in my heart, mega dungeon-wise, is Temple of Elemental Evil. That was like the ultimate for me, Greyhawk World, Temple but it went down level after level after level. And then mm-hmm. there were four levels of the planes all the way down at the bottom. And it was like full fire, full water, full air, full, or, you know, it was just all this craziness with the cults and everything going on. And it was the full true, you know, circus of you could meet in one room, some crazy monster. And then one door down, you'd find some other crazy monster. Yeah. You know, it was like the, the fun house dungeons is what they used to call them. Which yeah. Is super interesting. So that's a throwback for me again. I love that idea. I can't wait to try to play it. I want to get into a Dragon of the Mad uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage game at some point. Um, I kind of didn't jump into a Dragon Heist. I had a couple offers. I know uh, Indoor Adventures running a Dragon Heist game, and I know a bunch of other people are. But I'm kind of waiting for that Dungeon of the Mad Mage. I want to jump in on that. I want to save my one slot for to play because right now I'm still in a Tomb of Annihilation at this point, so yeah. I'm still playing that one even. And that one, we just got into the big area where it starts to turn very dungeon-like and uh, play. Something else that was interesting in the news um, that we don't have to talk a lot about, about, but uh, I saw a tweet that, I think it was Jeremy Crawford, said that there is new errata coming out for, like, they're fixing things with the Player's Handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and maybe the Monster Manual. I think it was just the other two, though. So we're going to get some more, um, hey, we're fixing these things that were in print. Uh, that They've done this before, um, and mostly it's been to clarify certain spells or abilities, but uh, it'll be interesting to see that you know, coming out. And then I always go through my book and put little E's next to things um, <laughs> so that when I'm flipping through it, I'm like, oh, there's an errata for this, so I can look it up to if in case there's like a rule discrepancy and people are, are arguing about how something works. But yeah. um, yep, uh, I, don't know, I, I don't know how I feel about this. I really wish that the book was a finished, polished product, but it's also nice that they are revising it as people are playing and figuring out, you know, like, oh, this needs to be worded just a little bit better for things like that. And so the errata's good, but uh, it's frustrating to to open your book and be like, oh, that's right. I have to like check this other page to see what it actually is. Um, or I guess yeah. you can just buy an updated book, but that's to coincide that's with those. Yeah, yeah, that's the tie-in because the new books are coming out with yeah. new covers and they're going to have the all the errata already in them. So I think that's their preemptive, hey, you don't have to go buy the new book. Here's the errata so that your book 
has all the same info but no yeah they do that versions yeah they'll make a pdf for it but um for sure the those new books look real nice too with their fancy covers it's very tempting to try and get those (laughs) i have um player's handbook and monster manual and pdfs that i had bought but i'm like i'm gonna probably buy the hardcover ones because the only i did buy the dungeons master one from a bookstore but I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to buy a, the one of the new handbooks and probably yeah, you the, should. the Monster Manual. That'd be awesome. I'm buying all kinds of books from these guys. They just keep getting into my wallet. Left <laughs> <and right. laughs> so yeah. cool. Um, we're waiting until uh, November 20th for Ravnica, which the, that'll be the next book that we talk about. And the more I think about it, I think I'm going to pick it up. Um like I wasn't really excited for it, but like the new races and and being able to create guilds and things. I don't know. I'm I'm getting more curious about this book, and I I probably will pick it up. So we'll yeah, because I was kind of like poo pooing it for a while, but I I don't yeah. know. I'm my opinion is being reversed through us chatting well, on this show. You know, you wanted the Eberron book. We, we Eberron was good, and actually the next book we're going to talk about will be November thirteenth. Is um, the Dungeon of the Mad Mage? So oh, that's, that's before. Like okay. Later. Yeah, so November 13th will be uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and then November 20th will be Guildmaster's uh, Guide to Ravnica. Okay. Which is right. very interesting. So, so Mr. Lucian, uh, yeah. we had two weeks to play games. What did you do in the two weeks that you were uh, – did you get any games in? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, so I got to build a computer or purchase a computer or fret over a computer death and then worry about getting all that set up. Um, had to put the mega campaign on hold until I could get that all situated as the computer went down. Yeah, um, which finally is always got rough. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, th- we forget how often we have so many different files and stuff that we use. And with a YouTuber or a streamer, there's a lot of things that we'll have in folders that we're using constantly. So we have like wherever our Photoshop stuff is, wherever our video editing stuff is, mm-hmm. wherever our, twitch overlay stuff is you know all these different things all these websites you have marked so that when you go to run your game you have all your your different things like oh i want to get my name generator i want to go over here and get a map i want to go over i've got all these places that i've been using forever marked and now i'm on a brand new computer that has none of that right so i have to get it all in there but yeah. um, i did get it all set up and ready to go so it happened like on thursday i got a computer ordered by friday and it came in by monday um, and then I started getting things set up. And so by Tuesday night, I couldn't play my game Monday, but by Tuesday night, I had everything set up, camera tested, microphone backup, and I was able to play in our um, Tomb of Annihilation game, which was super fun with our over on Anaris' channel. It gets streamed every Tuesday night starting at 8 p.m., although we started a little bit late, but we finally got everybody in, um, and it was super fun. The only person we were missing was Nomadic, who plays our Tortle um and unfortunately we lost our big npc that's been with us from the very beginning we keep losing npcs because i think our 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 gm has finally decided to kill off all non-players in our party because we had a bunch of them for a while Mm -hmm. and uh, so now they are almost all gone at this part um azaka has perished in the jungles and it was a big sad moment for us it was pretty funny because of all of the NPCs that we've done, I think um, our players, PB and Nomadic, they really attached to different ones of them. But I think Azaka was the one that the whole group was really vested in because she was right there from the beginning. She's the guide. She's the person you met, that we decided to, to deal with when we first got there. Not that that's the person that everybody chooses for 
um, their Tomb of Annihilation game, but it's one of the people that you could choose to be a guide. And so it's almost like she's been with us through the adventures, really feels like a member of the party of all the other NPCs. The other NPCs feel like um, pieces that are still there, NPCs, but Azaka felt like a member of the party, and then we lost a member of the party. Yeah. So it was, it was very traumatic. You know, sometimes you get attached to some of these characters that your GM ends up putting in with the group to to do different things or they're there for different reasons. And we all, as a GM, we all have different reasons we might have them there. It might just be a story fit. It might be some type of backstory thing that's coming around. It might be filling a gap that you think your party might have. Sometimes you might use an NPC for that. You might let them hire hirelings, which was a big thing back in the day, or porters to carry more treasure or take care of the horses when the adventure is going on. There's all kinds of reasons. Mm -hmm. You might have these really cool fleshed out NPCs that grow a part of the group and become part of the group dynamic. And then when they're gone, that big hole is there now and you can Mm -hmm. feel it. So we build these emotional ties to imaginary. It's like having (laughs) an imaginary friend, I guess. (laughs) So it hits you, you know, you're just like, Oh, you know, that's, that's sad. What, what can we do? And we're playing two annihilation. So we can't resurrect anybody. Yeah. This (laughs) until we fix the problem. So that's a big issue at the moment. So we can't just say, well, we'll just keep this person and we'll, we'll eventually resurrect them because that's what a lot of players will do. Like they'll get so attached to other characters in the game that they're willing to put all their wealth on the line. They're willing to go to, they're willing to cross the river sticks and go into hell to help drag back an NPC that they truly love or, or, or identify with in the game. They'll go to great lengths for those characters. And I think that's such a cool mechanic that GMs can use to give interesting NPCs to your party to let them to grow attachments to, yeah. to let them, you know, create connections, to let them be a part of the big story too. And a lot of times that's how we as GMs get to be a part of the story. Cause sometimes we're just in, in many ways we can be just a referee, right? We could just be the world engine and we're letting the players run around and we're telling them what happens when they run around, but we're not really part of their story. We're just there to help them do their story. But with an NPC, we can be a part of that story too. Yeah. Uh, I, although the dangers of a dungeon master NPC is, or a play, I should say a DMPC is uh, well known. And we've not, we specifically, but the internet has talked at large about that. Um, but I personally like having those NPCs in there, um, not necessarily to take away experience from the party or t- for me to like play a character, but um, if I can make a fun NPC kind of, cause I always, I don't know, as I, as I, research and and prep D&D, I always think of cool character concepts. Like I want a druid dwarf that is trying to mine the ocean floor. And I've probably mentioned that before, but I made this really cool dwarf <laughs> that was trying to like, and he'd shapeshift into octopus and go down to the ocean floor and try to like mine it and do interesting things. And I just liked that concept. And so I made an NPC that did that and helped my players out and they could utilize him as a resource. Um, and it was fun and I got it. And then I was able to get that character like out of my system. And I was like, okay, I made that character. I played it a little bit. Like, this is awesome. Now I can do something else. Um, it's also a really good point that you made uh, about like NPC deaths is that's a really good tool as a dungeon master to, if you can somehow get your characters attached to this guy, then you don't necessarily have to kill a PC, but you can make 
the um the situation deadly by killing the npc and all of a sudden mm-hmm. they realize like oh my gosh like this this bad guy means business or this is this is a skill challenge of high stakes because we you know somebody died or somebody lost a limb or something like that and so um having uh lovable npcs P- npcs that people care about um is really good so yeah and i think it's just <laughs> the fun part for for a GM, it's, it's the part to put your kind of creativity into what's going on. Because we a lot of times, maybe you're doing a homebrew, maybe you're building a campaign, maybe you're running a, a bot adventure and you're just looking for where you can insert some of that creativity that you have. And that's a really good place that a lot of people can just have a character idea in mind. It doesn't require voices. It doesn't require costumes. It can just be the description. It can be their actions is what the players will identify with and they will connect with. So it's how you play the NPC is typically more about what the characters will either accept them into their group, or they'll always remember that villain, or they'll always remember, you know, the, the one flower cart girl that there was some weird interaction that you thought was like a little one-off thing in a town. And they, that's the one thing they keep coming back to and remembering about that town. And they're always like mentioning that NPC or, or that, you know, something like that. And I just think it's a, it's a really cool way to be creative um, when you can't draw, when you can't sing, when you're not an actor, you know, mm-hmm. you're not, that's your place to put in. Um, well, yeah. it makes me think of the McClancy Waddle campaign that we did that you ran and how uh, we realized, cause we lost that 12 year old boy and I feel bad cause I forgot his name, but like he stowed, stowed away with us. And then we were like, okay, stay here because it's too dangerous. But when we went back, he was missing. So mm-hmm. we're like, we realized that we just messed up hugely. Like, oh my gosh, we like lost this little boy. And yeah, like, what are Sparrow. we going to do? Sparrow, Sparrow yeah. <laughs> so, and I remember that vividly where it's like, oh my gosh, we totally messed up. Um, we should have brought him along, but then there was a danger of him getting attacked if we brought him along. And so, uh, that was a good use of an NPC within our, our group, you know, because it added yeah. another lay, lay, level of uh, decision-making that makes for interesting campaigns. So, yep. so super fun. So that was my Tomb of Annihilation. Um, we've been running Adventure League. We're running Adventure League rules. So we got a couple of more treasure check, or we got one more treasure checkpoint and we got a couple of more um, experience checkpoints. Let me just put this out here with the new league rules. So you updated to the new rules? Yeah, we're okay. yep, yep, we're on the new season. You can level super fast if yeah. you're playing three to four hours at a time and you're getting those checkpoints quick. So that that whole mechanic about um going and playing slowly or playing at half speed or or um read up on it, I forget what they call it, but there's this mode where you can say, I'm just gonna I'm gonna accept XP at a lot less rate so I don't over level my content too quickly. Yeah. So definitely look into those rules. Make sure you're familiar with them if you're playing in a Tomb of Annihilation because it is very possible to level quickly and be right out of the adventure you're in. And if they're doing Adventure League correctly, you can, you know, certain ones are for certain tiers and you can be right out of that tier and you're right out of that. They can't run that game technically. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's uh, that's one of the 
criticisms that I've heard about uh, the new rules is that people are able to like level, they level too fast. So they, they, they get out of the adventure level wise before they get out of the adventure story wise. So you have mm-hmm. to like delay yourself by being like, okay, I'm going to take less experience points or I'm not going to level yet so that I can kind of finish this, this story arc. And I think the new settings work really well. If you're doing the individual, um, the individual uh, adventure league stories. So it's like you sit down and you do in this one story and you're good. And then next week you might be level two and you do this one story and you're good, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, the people that are trying to use these rules for uh, larger, not uh, larger modules like tomb of annihilation or out of the abyss or something, it it's kind of, I don't know. It's like, doesn't work like a square peg in a round hole. Almost um, you have to, you have to finagle it to make it work correctly. Yeah. And I think it's, it, I think that's you was the perfect point there was that they, when they create adventure league, a lot of times they create those adventures that are adventure league um, specific adventures yeah. and they're meant to be a three to four hour. And then they, they are loosely connected, but they don't have to be mm-hmm. connected and you can play that thing and, and not have to worry about, Oh, I've got to play the next one in this order, this order, this mm-hmm. order. Cause it's not like that typically. Whereas if you just, like you said, Tomb of Annihilation is just a big book. That could be a, a, a year and a half campaign. That could be a two-year campaign. Yeah. But technically, you could be leveled out of that within probably four months of just solid playing. You've got enough to be, you would be out of tier if you just kept going at it. So I think it's still through going through its growing pains of the new season. I think um, we replaced like things that maybe we don't like or, or, or feel like maybe still need to be fixed. Like the, the previous season had stuff that we thought should be fixed. I think a lot of that stuff is fixed now, but we've got some new things that are on the list. So we're like, Oh, now we got to look at this, but I like the treasure checkpoints. I think those are coming in pretty slow, but enough that you're like, okay, in just a few more, I'm going to be able to start thinking about that next magic item that I'd like to have. Right. That next little thing that'd be nice for them to have. And that allows you to build that, character you want and i think that's really cool because i think lately a lot of us have been coming up with character concepts that are strengthened if we have certain items and equipment to back that up yeah but in a real campaign you can't rely on that because a lot of times it could be random or it could or the gm has their own idea of what items are being given out and that might not be the same thing that that you wanted like so if you're playing you know the last samurai and you're looking for that really cool katana sword but if you're playing tomb of annihilation you're never going to come across the katana yeah you know, you're never going to come across that but this allows you to really kind of get that fine tuning of your character now it probably does lean a little bit towards the min maxers and many of you might say well i'm not a min maxer i'm that super cool role player who can make anything i'm given super good if they give me a handkerchief plus two of protection i'm gonna make that work <laughs> your I, that's that's great too I, I i totally you know i understand where you're coming from with that i like the idea you're the type of person that when you roll your stats randomly you don't care if you get an eight or a seven because you're like i can play that i can find yeah. a way to make that fun and cool and i get that that's why the game is great because it, accomp- it it allows people to play that style but it also lets some of us min maxers i'm like a closeted min maxer be able to go okay I, I always fall back to when I think about this, your your old video of creating Iron Man in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Just, you can do it if I can control the equipment, mm-hmm. if I can control the look of the effects, if I can really fine tune the things I need, 
I can build a Tony Stark, Iron Man kind of character that has all the same impact of that character in the Dungeons and Dragons world, even though it's not a modern day superhero right. game. You know, so I love that flexibility to grab a character concept and say, this is what I want to do. Your Dwarven Undersea Miner was super cool. That's just a really fun, or the Spore Druid that you were talking yeah. about at one point. Or I was still always, I really loved the the Death Cleric you did when we, we mm. kind of talked about that. It's one that stands out in my mind of going into the character and picking specific spells that are meant to enhance that. You weren't picking spells to say, yeah. this is going to be the best thing for this party, for this adventure, because I know what's going on. It was, no, 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 this is this character, and these are the things that this goddess would bestow upon this cleric this is what it should be. It doesn't matter if that helps the group or not yeah. in any way. And I love that. I, you know, I made a shadow, uh, a thief that was all about the spells were all about darkness and invisibility and being able to climb walls, no offensive capability at all, because it was just going to be a camp burglar kind of character. And it didn't, I didn't want fireballs. I didn't want lightning bolts, but those are things you typically want to take if you're the wizard. Mm -hmm. But I was like, no, I want to go with this other style or the desert mage, which I was was really fun to make. Those are the things that I love this game allows me to do. And it's what a lot of computer games and MMOs will typically get close to that, where they will let you build this character the way you want. And you get talents and equipment and you can do all these cool things. But there's always you always feel like you bump up against a limit. You know, there's always one thing you want to do, but the game won't let you. Yeah. And Dungeons and Dragons is the one game where there's never a limit if you're if you talk with your gm and your gm really works with you to be creative there's nothing you can't do in the game or find a way to do in the game when you're thinking about it in some way you can play a very cartoon style game you can play a very kung fu style you can play a gritty swords and sorcery you can play a very low magic style you can play a very high magic style you can throw in mech suits and whatever you want in your dungeons and Dra there's no limit to what you can do and i think that's what really makes the game great and i say dungeons and dragons but it's really all rpgs all, most rpgs give you this flexibility to turn them into anything you want we just always associate dungeons and dragons being the one that really just kind of showed us that we could do that right they showed us the way of all these other things and it's it, um, I always like that's what draws me back. That's what makes me come back next month to build another character, and the month after that to build another character, mm -hmm. and the month after that to build another character. So, that yeah, was no, my I know. I love play. themed characters, so it's really fun. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. Um, <laughs> the mega campaign was on hold for two weeks. I have to apologize to my players, but they've they've kept up high spirits. They've been creating characters. They've talked in the tavern a little bit with each other and they know we're going to get going. And when I come back, which is not going to be next week, cause I will be in Orlando next week. I will be home for the show. So I won't miss Saturday morning. I'll be flying home Friday, be ready for Saturday morning. And then from that on, you're going to see the new schedule and the new schedule for that week after is probably going to have three or maybe four slots for um, the team, the groups, um, group leaders to run games. So I'm hoping on that week of, I think it's like the 15th or something, that we have four adventures with four different parties for the mega campaign to see how that all turns out and get that thing back kicked up, ramped up, you know, go full bore on it and uh, be ready. And hopefully all my sound issues will be fixed. My walls will all be painted and done. Um, we'll get all that stuff done before that 15th, I think is what it is if I look at my calendar. Is it the, yeah, starting the 15th, that whole week, there should be a bunch of games. Sweet. What 
did Jordan do over last week? Well, my Sunday game is I actually we're, we're playing tomorrow, but we haven't played for the last like three weeks or two weeks or something. So it's uh, the, where I left off was they uh, fought a horde golem from Tome of Beasts, which is like this this giant uh, gargantuan uh, golem type monster of swirling treasure that strips you of your magic items when it attacks you which was kind of fun so like they would get attacked and their magic sword would like leave their hand and they'd have to like run over and find their magic sword to be able to attack the monster again uh and that was really fun but uh i did play hot springs island and uh my players were captured by salamanders so this is kind of a funny story and i'm sure my players are going to watch this and they're going to be like you messed us over jordan like they're going to get really upset (laughs) But um, I was looking again online for Hot Springs Island resources, and I found um, a – originally, I found, like, a bestiary. Somebody took all of the monsters from Hot Springs Island and made 5th edition, like, monster stats for them. And I was like, oh, this is great. But it only had the beasts. It didn't have, um, like, the the salamanders and the, the night axe ogres and things like that. You were kind of supposed to use ogres from the monster manual and salamanders from the monster manual. Well, the salamanders in the monster manual are a little easier than what I found alternatively. So I found another document that was like, here is every monster statted out. And I was like, oh, this is a godsend. Like, I don't have to flip through the monster manual anymore. I'll use these. So they ran into um, my players. I rolled randomly for everything. And they got the ambush on, um, I think it was five salamanders. There was like a head salamander and four of his little cronies. And they were just like, we fought salamanders before. We can totally take these guys. We've got the advantage. We've got a surprise round. It's going to be awesome. So they were hiding in trees. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I've got this cough. They were hiding in trees. They were like setting up really good ambushes, being really smart about it. But unfortunately, these salamanders were a much higher CR than the ones that they had uh, been playing previously. Um, I decided to go with it because I was like, you know what? Not all salamanders are the same. And maybe my players need to learn that. Like there are higher ones. And these guys weren't like guarding anything. All of the salamanders they've encountered before were like guarding holes or they were guards or something like that. And I was like, these guys are like a scout party. Like they're out looking for something. So they're maybe a little stronger than your typical salamander. Mm-hmm. So it was after like, I think it was round two that I cast fireball in the tree and they had to like run out of the tree because it caught fire that they realized they needed to get out of here. Like that they were not going to be able to take out these, these guys. And I don't think they got, they got one salamander down real close uh, to death, but they didn't actually kill him before they decided to run. So they ran. And when I do chase scenes, I like to use skill challenges from fourth edition. And so I really am a big proponent of skill challenges. I think there are lots of fun, so we did a skill challenge, and I said, you guys have to get eight successes before three failures, which is really difficult, but, like, you can't just run into the jungle and lose these salamanders. Like, they're, they're expert hunter trackers. They're going to find you. So I made it really difficult. Uh, long story short, it came down to the wire. So I think they were at two failures and seven successes, and it was, like, oh. the next turn. I'm like, what are you going to do? And they, they were really creative because they kind of go down the list of their abilities, and they're like, I want to use survival to try and, like, hide our tracks, or I want to use stealth to, like, hide here, or um, I think another one wanted to just use straight ath- athleticism to, like, run as far forward as he possibly could. Um, so they were being really interesting about it, and it was a fun skill challenge. And it came down to the last guy, and I think he rolled a two. 
and he failed. And so I said, you guys jump into the bushes, you roll down trying to get away from these and you roll right into the feet of the salamanders who had like saw what you were doing, cut around a corner and cut you off. Uh, we had like an interrogation scene where they were, you know, like captured basically. And then I had the salamanders put hoods over their, their heads. This was in the morning that this happened. So hoods over their heads, they marched them for a full day. And so they took off their hoods and they're now in a mining complex. So the salamanders work for, um, uh, his name's Sparku, and he's this like big bad Afrit kind of enemy on Hot Springs Island, and uh, they're mining red crystal from the island, and so they needed slaves for more mining of this red crystal. So when we start up on Tuesday, uh, they're going to be trapped in like chained up in this like cave mining red crystal, and they're going to have to figure out a way out of this and. Uh, what I wanted to point out from all of this, so that's like the backstory of everything. But what I'm finding really interesting is um, I'm realizing that my Sunday game is a little more on the rails, and this game is completely uh, what's the opposite of on the rails? Uh, home <laughs> off the rails. Well, yeah. off the rails. Yeah, like I have no idea what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and um, from session to session, I'm always just like. I need to know how the session ends in order to prep for the next one because I never have an, any clue as to what they're going to meet, where they're going to go, who they're going to see, what their decisions they're going to do. <clears throat> and this was a prime example of it where I'm like, I didn't plan any of this. And they even asked me, they're like, did you think this was a real thing? I'm like, no, I made it up on the fly that you guys got, well, not made it up, but like you got captured and I'm like, where would they take them? I guess the logical way thing is they'd be like more slaves to like mine this red crystal. So we'll have them like go into this, this be become slaves for, um, Svarku in his like mines. Um, But yeah, I'm realizing that I have a pretty, I don't want to say linear, but I have a path for my players on my Sunday game. And they very kind of like go through this path. And a lot of times they'll go off of it, but then they, they, you know, you dangle the carrot in the right place and they're like, okay, we're supposed to go over here. Like we'll go this way. So I know what's going to happen with that game. Whereas the hex crawl of Hot Springs Island, I have no idea what's going to happen with this game. And I am a little paranoid if they're going to escape, if they're going to die, if, and you know, I'm not really sure. And there's a couple of other things that I don't want to say because it'll be spoilers that I'm also nervous that might happen because mm-hmm. I know the, the, um, the cave tunnel system that they're in and I know like paths that, that could lead, but like, there's like five or six different ways that this could end. And it's really interesting. And how do you so, prep for that? Yeah. And how do you prep for that? Yeah. And so I'm realizing more and more that um, they are, I guess, the difference between a railroad and a sandbox. And mm-hmm. it has never really hit me until today. And I think a lot of people will look at my Sunday game and say, Jordan, you're a complete railroader in that game. But I also think that there's an opinion to say like, no, that's a sandboxy game because they can go to X, Y, and Z, but it's the, it's the illusion of choice almost. Like, like you can go to this town, this town, or this town, but in my mind, I've only got one town prepped. So whichever one they go to is going to be the town that I prep kind of a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. whereas hot springs Island, and I don't know how I would do this if I didn't have the, the core book to help me out. Um, because that would be, 
And I guess you're you're doing this with your uh, thing where you're like, <laughs> I've created this entire world and they can go anywhere. But like, how much prep was that? Like, that was a lot of prep for yeah. you to not have prep from a weekly basis, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, and it was putting in mechanisms that allow you to have less prep. So the idea of putting things that were already created in certain places. So if they do stumble upon that. Then you um, could open that book and be yeah. like. And yeah. there's a little bit about the game I'm playing now that I've done that forces my players to before the session in our discord in character, as if they're sitting around the table in the tavern the night before they're going to go do something to talk about what they're going to do. And I need that to help me with my prep for the adventuring groups that are going to be going out. Because if I don't find out until Monday night and they have a choice of seven different places to go, and two of them have big dungeon areas that I have to have mapped out in roll 20. And then the other two, I could just kind of yeah. do theater of the mind, but I don't know which one they're going to do. I want our sessions to really get to the meat of things without me stalling until we get there, which was my tactic before. So it, when I played the pre the pre campaign, I just let them decide where they were going to go hex by hex. I never had them tell me what was going on. I waited till we got there to that session. Yeah. But the moment I realized I could figure out kind of where they were going to go, I would have something going on for this session that stalled long enough that I'd be able to do a real prep for the next session. So in a way, mechanically, what was happening, I think, was there was some filler that they were going through to give me time to prepare the storyline to fit with what was going on. Um, and it all, from their point of view, it just was a really cool game that was reacting to all the stuff that they were doing, which was super cool. But when I started doing the mega dungeon or the mega campaign, I realized, wait a minute, I've got to be a little bit more strict about what I'm doing if this is going to work out. And if I'm going to keep the timelines together so that all the groups are on the same timeline and all the stuff's happening. Like imagine if you're running three groups through Hot Springs Island and you wanted the calendar to be the same for everybody and you're yeah. trying to keep track of where everybody is at that time that starts to get a little tough. So we've introduced some artificial homebrew kind of rules that help me out as the DM. And I think most of the players in the groups have been good about that of helping me out. So this little in scene or in character, them talking about where they're going. And I, they have to tell me which hex their expedition is going out to. Now I can, a lot of stuff can happen between, you know, wherever they were going, mm -hmm. but I have to know what their destination is so I can have a good idea of what to plan for that could possibly happen. Um, so that's worked out really well. And it's been very interesting to have randomness in it and, and then to keep a map up so that they keep updating a map so that they have a, ha a map they can figure out where they've been to. I have my, my own map so I know what's going on and then I have factions that are clashing. So there's a lot going on for sure. Um, but it makes for a really fun game when it feels super dynamic. It doesn't feel like the railroad, like you're saying, of yeah. the storyline. And I don't think it's a, it is a railroad, I guess, in some ways. But Storm King's Thunder is that way too. Because if at some point your party says, I want to help fix the problem that's happening with Storm King's Thunder, everything they're doing is towards that route. So it's really just... Point A is the decision we want to do something about it. And point B is we've done it and fixed it. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter really what happens in between because you're still going from point A to point B, right? You're still kind of in a linear thing. And sometimes when they're playing, I've noticed the players change a little bit or they act a little differently depending on what they think the campaign is. The minute they think there's a storyline, 
especially my Monday night group, which is my home group, my hometown group, they're very much about, it's a weird metagame thing almost where they, they try to find the hint or clue I'm giving them so they can move on to the next part of the storyline. Right. In reality, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just like, Hey, you guys just explore this cool town that you just came in. Just do whatever you want. I want to see where this goes. And they're like, no, no, no. Lucian somewhere in here, there's a clue we're supposed to get. And that's supposed to take us to the next town. So they're already looking for the clue that takes them away from this town. And I'm just like, Hey, just play around in this town. Let's see what happens. So it's really weird. Um, when they have that expectation and they, I will, I will talk to them out of the game and they're all, they'll be like, Oh, I feel really bad. Cause I feel like we're not doing what you want for the storyline or we're not doing what it's going to make. And I'm like, no, 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 stop. Just play your character. You know, I want you just to play. I will worry about how the storyline all works out, how it's all going to tie together. Don't you worry. You just play your character and have fun. Don't worry about trying to help me out so much. And I've noticed with the mega campaign, cause I've told them it is a lot of randomness to it. There's a lot of things going on. There is no storyline. I keep telling them this. This is a living world that you're in. And if you just stand on the corner and watch it and don't interact with it, it's going to do its own thing. And it doesn't care about you at all. And if you do get involved, you're still a small fry and you might not be able to do too much. Mm -hmm. But they're loving the idea of being able to interact in that world. And maybe eventually the things they do change that world. But right now, this world doesn't care about them at all. Like it does, it doesn't stop. It doesn't, you know, not every, everything's revolved around them and they know there's other groups running it. So they know they're not the main characters of the story. Right. Cause they'll be like, well, what about that other group that just went and did this thing? What about that other group? that just yeah. did this? Thing? Wait a minute. We're not, we're not the heroes of this story. And I <laughs> think that's, this world. yeah, that's exactly how hot springs Island is too, because they're just like, they're reacting to the Island. Not so much like um, the heroes to save the day. Like they're, they have a, they have a loose thing where they're trying to like pay off their debt to the Martell company. But like, I don't know it, them getting captured by salamanders and being forced into this mine, just, it was like an epiphany. Like I, I just suddenly realized the charm that is hot Springs Island and like Mm -hmm. why this adventure is so popular. Um, and why really you guys should all pick it up. And recently I found, um, again, I found all the, the stats for the five E characters. I found another guy who made all of the monster stats for dungeon crawl classics. And I'm like, this would be an excellent thing. Like I would love to run a dungeon crawl classic games with hot Springs Island because it is just so deadly. And I think it would be a lot of fun. Uh, and it's kind a of bunch the of zero levels going through there would be, yeah, so good. it would be, it would be amazing. Like I would, <laughs> I don't know. I just would be really fun, but like, yeah, I guess I just, you know, I, I, on paper, I've always known the difference between a railroad and a sandbox, but now mm. I feel like I actually understand it. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was just kind of this eye opening experience on Tuesday where I'm just like, I don't know how this is going to end. And that is kind of thrilling as a dungeon master to not know along with your players. And they, Mm -hmm. like, my players were looking for me for help. They're like, so are we going to die? Are we going to get captured? And I'm like, I don't know. And I had to make a choice, like, right there. And I'm like, I think think they would capture you. But let's say it was a bunch of night axe ogres that they got in a fight with. But those ogres have, like, honor and tradition and they don't take anybody alive they probably would have just slaughtered you right there and we would have to start over with new characters. So, you know, in a way they got lucky that they fought salamanders instead of other other creatures that would not be as merciful because they need slaves for these mines. 
Um, and that's just rolling the dice and seeing what they come up with. It was really interesting. So, well, I think it's funny too, because I think as a GM and for any of you out there that are GMs, when you go back to being play as a player or you're doing both at the same time, um, we get the most practice at thinking about a character, thinking about their motivations, and then trying to say, okay, this situation just happened. How does that thing react to this? How does an orc react to it? Yeah. How would a goblin react to it? How would a salamander, how would a norker? Because we're so constantly trying to be fair in what we're thinking about of like, okay, they ran into the T-Rex. This is probably what a T-Rex would do. But if you guys run into a group of, you know, a goblin scouting party, I have to think about what the goblin scouting party would do. And we get practice at that session in session out encounter ever after encounter after encounter or even npcs this this shopkeep you guys just broke a bunch of stuff in his shop and you're trying to intimidate this person you're trying to get your way i have to think about this character's personality and how they're going to react they could be a coward they could be stubborn they could mm -hmm. be just as tough as you are and you don't know it you know i have to think about all those things so we get this practice a lot of reacting to that and then and trying to think of a fair way that these characters would react get into their minds get into their philosophies get into their ideals and say okay this is what they would do and then when we go to play as players it really sinks in to be like oh i'm playing my character what would my character do and that's a gm person who goes to be a player is always that person who says i'm going to play my character to the hill right i'm going to play their mm -hmm. mentality to the hill it doesn't matter if this is going to ruin the party, like we're all going to die in this dungeon. No, my cleric would do this because that's what my cleric does. And yeah. We're just so ingrained in, we do what the character should do. So if you're ever looking to become better at that, you're looking at a practice of how do I play a good character? Like you see, maybe you're playing with other people that can really get into their character and you're wondering how they do that. You don't have that talent. Well, but you might not have that talent, but there's, you can get around not having talent by just practicing and just doing it over and over. And as a GM, you're put in that situation to think of those things. Yeah. You'll become a better player, I think, when you GM. Yeah, just for sure. It makes me think of um, like having the same monster, but embodying it in different ways. Like uh, you can have goblins and kobolds and be like, they're kind of dumb and they scatter about. And like you launch a fireball and all of a sudden the kobolds are just like, ah, and they run away. Um, and you could have that mindset. But then there's, um, and they're called Tucker's kobolds where like what if you had hyper intelligent kobolds that coordinated their attacks so now you have the same like cr one one fourth creature but you almost have to increase their cr because you're playing them with like traps and they're coordinating and they're they're very specifically targeting wizards and things like that um to like knock those out so that they can win this combat um and that's that's part of the fun of being a dungeon master is choosing like, well, how coordinated or how intelligent are these monsters? Um, Cause your big T-Rex is probably going to be like, he hit me the hardest. I'm going to turn around and hit him. And so you kind of, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And then one last point that I was going to bring up the, we're talking about the improvisational GM, the person who doesn't quite know, can't prep ahead of time yeah. or can only prep so little that when the session happens, we, we've got to run with it. We've got to be able to roll with it. To me, this is where the biggest anxiety has ever come from when running a game has always been in that type of session. So if you're having trouble with that, if you're having 
so much pressure on yourself about the game that's coming up, lean more towards a storyline driven game to ease that until you're ready for it. When you're ready, when those anxiety levels aren't so big that they're crushing you throughout the week to make sure that you're prepared, you're finally being able to handle those things. Then you can start opening up into a more sandbox game and start experimenting slowly into it, whatever the speed needs to be for you. You don't have to just jump into sandbox right away and add all that pressure to yourself if you don't want to. Now, many of us do. Me and Jordan are the type that just throw ourselves into something. Who knows what's going to happen? We don't care. And we just work our way through it. But that's not everybody. So if you want to lower that, you can go to a pre-prepared kind of storyline-driven adventure. The book's going to tell you what you need to know. You can think about the session. You know where your characters are at. You kind of have an idea of where they're going. That pressure is not as big. Now your pressure is only about getting the rules right mm -hmm. or playing with the, the characters. I've got the thing muted. You hear it, but they don't. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I completely agree. And when I started Hot Springs Island, I 100% uh, had a nervous, not a nervous breakdown, but like I had a, like a small little like panic because um, I had read the entire book twice, but I don't have everything memorized. And I was kind of like, well, I don't know where they're going to go. Are they going to go like left or right? And da, 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 da. Um, yeah, so, uh, Lucian's audio was squealing a little bit, so I think he muted himself, so, uh, he's okay. But we're coming up at the end of our episode, so I'll do our outro right now. Thank you guys so much for coming out and watching us, uh, on Saturday morning here for the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Uh, we're live every week on Twitch, Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific, um, on Twitch TV slash Sir Lucian. So come watch us. Uh, we love to have people. Um, you can catch VODs on YouTube. Just search Saturday Morning D&D Show or on a podcast. We have an anchor podcast that you can um, search as well. And that is found wherever podcasts are sold. So just go and look for that. Uh, thank you guys again so much for coming out uh, and go play some games. Go play some Halloween games because it's awesome yes, and it's October. <laughs> and with yeah, that, that, oh, go ahead. Yeah, that was the, uh, they always seem to, on the first Saturday of the month, chest the tornado siren. So oh. the tornado siren. <laughs> and I'm in a new house now. And guess what? My house is much closer to that. And that's the first time I've heard that. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Too so, funny. Yeah, thanks everybody for joining. And everything that uh, Jordan had said, definitely go check out all the channels and all of the YouTubes and the Twitch. You'll see a lot more stuff coming up pretty soon. And this whole month, I think October, you're going to see a bunch of stuff from Jordan. And once my room is done and my audio is fixed better, yeah. you're going to see a lot more content from me because I'll be doing a lot more videos also. So thanks everybody for joining all of our great viewers and fans and all you new people out there. And we'll see you in the next one. Yep. We'll see you uh, next week. Bye everybody. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.